Luke of Jesus. And so turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Then we're going to be reading verses 39 to 56. And then over the next year, we'll be going through the book of Luke systematically. We'll intersperse that with some Old Testament books that Aaron's going to be going through. And we're looking forward to this coming year, just seeing what God does as we focus on the Savior and receiving from him. So let's look in in your Bibles at Luke 1, verses 39 to 56. In those days, Mary arose... And by the way, just to pause here, that she arose right after Gabriel has given her a word and, and talked about what is going to transpire and the fact that, that Elizabeth is already pregnant with John. So let's go back. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. God, we need you. We need you to help us understand your word, help us respond to your word. God, uh, many of us are are tired from the holidays and and all that we had to do, Lord, and Lord, some are sick. Lord, we just pray that your mercy would be on us, your grace would be on us. We need you. God, I need you. I pray for your Holy Spirit to fill each and every one of us here that we might receive from you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to think about for a second, does the, the fact that this account, the, really the account of Jesus, does the fact that this account begins with two women, does that surprise you at all? It, it actually is, is, is meant to be surprised. It, it is somewhat surprising. It would have been somewhat surprising in that day and age when women were not focused on as important. And, and I love how God takes what man thinks is important and turns it on his head. And he gives us this account that begins with these two women. And they're two very different women, but they're, they're women who both share reproach or will share reproach. We have the older woman, Elizabeth. She is born the reproach of, of barrenness her entire life. And she's about now to give birth to one who's going to prepare the way for salvation in Jesus Christ. 
The other woman is, is very young, so the contrast is stark. We have old Elizabeth. And that's not me calling her old. That's the Bible calling her old. She's, she's old. She's barren. She's born reproach. Now she's about to bear the one who prepared the way for the Savior, and her reproach will be taken away. And then we have Mary, a very young girl, probably 13 to 14, somewhere in that age range, who has believed God. And now God has put Jesus inside of her. And she's about to bear reproach because she's not yet married, and people will think that she's come, become pregnant outside of this miracle of God putting Jesus in her womb. But both women are blessed. Both women are exceedingly blessed by God. And, and, and it would have been surprising for them to be examples put forward as, as the kind of people who God blesses. And yet that's exactly what we see. We see that, that God blesses people as they respond to him. We see God blessing Elizabeth in her response. We see God blessing Mary in her response to him. And what we see is that those who God blesses at the coming of Jesus the kind of people who God blesses at the coming of Jesus. Now, they were unique in, in, in salvation history, but, but they're also meant to be upheld as examples of the kind of response that God blesses, the kind of person that God blesses. What we're going to see in this passage is, is two women who are just blessed by God. and We're going to see God blesses and receives those who respond to his word because both women have responded to his word, and we're going to see how God's blessed them because of the response to his word. We're also going to see how God blesses those of humble estate. And that's not an address, by the way. That doesn't mean, you know, 201 humble estate. God blesses those of humble estate. He also, we're going to see that he blesses those who fear him. Do you, do you want to know how to receive God's blessing? There's so many books have been written and there's five steps to receive God's blessing and, and all these things you're supposed to do. And yet, Scripture lays out to us the kind of person that God blesses in the coming of Jesus. And we see that right away, his blessing on all, is on all of those who receive his word and respond to his word. God blesses those who believe and respond to his word. That's that's the first thing we see in Mary. You see, Mary has just been told by the angel Gabriel that she is going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And to confirm that, the angel says, and by the way, your, your cousin Elizabeth, she is already six months pregnant. And then the Mary responds in faith. We saw in the passage that we focused on last week. Mary responds in faith and she says that that so be it unto me, your servant. And she submits willingly to God's word, but she doesn't leave her faith there. She doesn't leave her belief in the side of headspace. She actually puts her belief into action. She responds, and that is what we see at the very beginning is Mary's response of faith in God's word. You see, the angel told her, your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. What's the very first thing she does? She immediately gets up and she goes to Elizabeth. And she goes right away because it says, your, your cousin Elizabeth is already pregnant six She's six months along, and, and now when she gets there, she's six months along. The, the angel Gabriel had told her God's word, and she believed God's word. She responded to God's word. And I, and I, I love imagining this, this trip of about 100 miles. She's going up into the hill country of Judah, and, and she's preparing the way, and she's, she's probably giddy with excitement, looking forward to, to greeting her, her older cousin and, and celebrating with her. 
I, I'm guessing this was a surprise. There was, there was no telegraph, there's no telephone, there's no way to get a message ahead. It seems like Mary just left right away. And she goes to see Elizabeth and I can picture, you know, this, this older pregnant Elizabeth. She is in her house. She might be singing songs to God. She is, she is happy, she's joyful that God has removed her reproach. She's no longer barren. And so Mary comes to the door. She's probably sneaking in. I can just imagine wanting to surprise her if she's anything like most teenagers who love a good surprise. And so she calls out, Elizabeth! And I can imagine Elizabeth just like cocking her head like, what in the world? Who's, who's calling my name? And then as soon as Mary calls her name and hears this as soon as she hears this greeting of Mary, it says, the baby, John, leapt in her womb. And then she was filled with the Holy Spirit because, you see, John said that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so Elizabeth, she, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. This is, this is the new covenant breaking in. This is the fulfillment of the old covenant where it says that, that all will be filled with the spirit who are in him. And he says, you're, you're old, you're old men, you're young men, you're old women, you're young women will prophesy. And we see Elizabeth here, she is filled with the spirit and she, she begins to prophesy. And she exclaims with a loud voice and she says something interesting. She says, blessed are you among women. She, she declares that God has blessed her, that God has blessed Mary. She's, she's not primarily thinking about herself. She's primarily thinking about what God has done and, and the fact that God has blessed Mary. She says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then she says, why is this granted? She sees this as a privilege. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to visit me? You see, the Holy Spirit had revealed something that Elizabeth did not know. That, that Mary was pregnant, and that not only was she pregnant, but she was pregnant with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, she didn't know his name, but pregnant with the Lord, with the Savior. It's the same language that's reserved in the Psalms for God Almighty. When, when David is speaking of the Lord, says to my Lord, it's the same kind of language. And when the Holy Spirit filled Elizabeth, I love her response. It wasn't restrained. It wasn't contained. It, it, it describes her as shouting. I can just picture this six-month pregnant old woman, and she's shouting. She's so excited. She's filled with the Spirit, and she is shouting. She's excited. She's exclaiming with this loud voice. You know, maybe she's jumping up and down, and she is excited to tell Mary what God has revealed to her. And she says, well, behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. I love that, that, that imagery of, of John, the last prophet of the Old Testament. And he's in the womb, and yet the Holy Spirit has filled John, and the same Holy Spirit is in Jesus. And that, that Holy Spirit lets somehow, lets the baby know that his Lord has arrived. The old and new covenants have come. Jesus, the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament, all the Old Covenant, now Oh, all those promises are fulfilled and the coming of Jesus brings joy not only to John, this baby, it brings joy to Elizabeth, brings joy to Mary and joy because they've responded by believing. And here's what Mary says. Here's what Elizabeth says about Mary. She is blessed, look in verse 45, because 
Here's why. Blessed is he who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary was blessed because she believed And then she put her belief into action. She believed that what God said would happen would happen. And she put her faith into action and went to go and see Elizabeth. And and Mary is blessed, but it's because she believed. And and later on in Luke, we're going to see that reinforced. There's a woman. She cries out to Jesus because of Jesus' teaching. And she says to Jesus in in Luke Luke 11, she goes, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that which you nursed. And Jesus said to her, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Mary was blessed. And and, and what we're meant to see is the reason why she's blessed, because she heard God's word and she believed there would be fulfillment. When, When you hear God's word, how do you respond? Do you believe that God will fulfill his word? That he's fulfilled his word in Jesus Christ specifically? Because that's what this passage is pointing to. But do you believe that every promise of God of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Are you responding to that? If so, blessed are all those who believe there's a fulfillment of what's going to be spoken, of what's spoken by the Lord. I can only imagine what, what Mary and Elizabeth both were feeling at that moment. They must have been giddy. Not only were they relatives who were happy for each other's births and you know like when two women get together who are newly born they talk about their pregnancy and how things are going and they're excited for each other and but now Elizabeth must have been incredibly excited because she was filled with the Holy Spirit something that was unique. It only happened really to, to those God uniquely blessed in the Old Testament that, that were either prophets or forerunners of, of the Messiah Mary was overjoyed because what it meant was in Mary's prophetic word was confirmation that that what Mary had believed and put her faith in actually was true. Mary hadn't told Elizabeth, hey, Elizabeth, an angel appeared to me and I believed. No, Elizabeth knew that and that was confirmation and often God does that. That's that's how, in the New Testament, how prophetic words often work. They're they're confirmation of what God has already spoken and what God's already doing. It's meant to be confirmation and assurance. And I love this passage. It's full of joy. It's full of joy. From beginning to end, it's it's full of joy. It's an explosion, an expression of joy. These two women, what does it look like when they come before God to be blessed? They're coming before God. They're blessed because of their humility, because they're seeking his mercy. They're blessed because they believe in his word. And they're filled with joy. And I think we're we're meant to see that's, that's their... That's the response to believing in Jesus and his word, when, that he has come, believing in who he is. That's, that's meant to give us joy. And we have far more reason now than even these women did to believe God's word, to accept it and respond to it. We have, we have the full account of Jesus' life, of, of his death, of his resurrection, of his ascension. That's the whole reason that, that, Luke, Luke, that Luke wrote is so that we might believe the salvation that's brought to us in Jesus Christ. And if you believe that, it gives lasting joy that no one can take away. And the second reality we're seeing is not only does God bless those who believe and respond to his word, but he blesses those of humble estate. He blesses those of humble estate. 
you know, Mary responds to Elizabeth's prophetic song with a prophetic response of her own. And the content of how both women respond, it's like, it's like hymns found in, in, in the book of Psalms. And, and she, the content of Mary's Magnificat or her song, her magnificent expression of who God is, it, it's actually, it pulls from so many places all throughout the Old Testament from, from Genesis and Samuel and Job and Psalms and Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. And, and it's because her, God's word is on her lips. She was steeped in hearing God's word and, it's, and it's, it explodes out of her heart. Words naturally overflow. This is a young girl who's, who's been schooled in God's word. Her, her words are naturally overflowing with scripture. And I think it's a good lesson, by the way, as an aside for us as parents, that the best way to prepare our children for glorifying God is to steep them in God's word and reading and singing his word. So it becomes their song too. And that's what we see in Mary. She's, she's singing out God's word. The fulfillment of all of the old covenant she's singing about is is found in the child in her womb. And then he says that she's magnifying the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. When I was a little kid, I used to love, actually I still do, um, I used to love looking through a magnifying glass. I remember when I first discovered a magnifying glass and I took it outside and I was looking at the ants and bees and, and all the little things and, and just seeing the wonder. And what that magnifying glass did is it brought to life something that, that it was distant, that was far away. It, it, it showed the detail, the, the beauty, the, the intricacies of what I was looking at through the magnifying glass. And Mary says, my soul is magnifying the Lord. I want to show how great he is to speak of his goodness. And she says, he's looked, here is why God is to be magnified. Why God is to be great. He's not like people. He's looked on the humble estate of his servant. And by the way, when it says he's looked, that doesn't mean that God's like, how's it going? See you over there. No, it's God sees. He he turns his face in favor. He looks favorably on. To see that when in the Old Testament, when it speaks of God looking, we want God's gaze because his gaze is full of favor and grace. And so she says, he's looked on the humble estate of his servants. He's looked on the humble estate of his servants. What does it mean to be of a humble estate, though? It, it means to be lowly. It means those who are insignificant, those who are poor, those who are often overlooked. Those who seemingly are insignificant in the world's eyes. And that's the reverse of, of how other people look. Do you know who we typically tend to look on with favor? We typically tend to admire, to look up to, to look on with favor. Those people who seem to have it all together, don't we? You know, you think of, of all of the people who we esteem today, people maybe in business, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, whoever you can think of right now of, you know, as being the ideal, the epitome of success. We, we can look on those people as if they're favored, we can look on, on movie stars. We can look on, on performers. Maybe Taylor Swift is who you think is, oh, she's great. 
And, and we tend to look on people from the outside. We tend to look at people's success and what they've achieved and how great they are. And then, and then we can actually tend to want to respond to have people want to see us as great. And it says, oh, God's not like that. She says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She, she lives in a humble address. She is, Mary is living in a place of humility, from a place of humility. She's unknown, this unknown girl from an unknown place. Nazareth, out in the boondocks. Not only is it up north, like out in the middle of nowhere, it's Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. And who is this Mary? We don't even know what family she's really from, specifically. She says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. He notices, he lifts up the humble. That doesn't mean that, that people who are poor are better. It doesn't mean that people who are, are insignificant in the world's eyes are better. What it means is, those who are poor in spirit, those who see that they are needy, you know, Jesus told his disciples that it's difficult for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's harder than it is for a, a camel to enter in through an eye of a needle. And that's because often when we have a lot, when we're rich, when, when, when all of our needs are supplied, we don't think. When we're strong, when we're feeling good, we're not aware of our need for God. And, and we're not looking to God to supply our needs. And so, contrary to endorsing that way of living, she says, no, God, God looks on the humble estate of a servant. And Jesus himself, he talks about his mission, that he came to, to proclaim good news to the poor. When he began his, his public ministry, he read the words of Isaiah, he claimed them as his own, and later on in Luke, we're going to see that in Luke 4.18, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Not, not just physically poor, but, but those who are poor in the spirit. He, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Do you know you're poor? Do you know you're a captive? He says, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up a scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, he sat down, and all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to him, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is good news because everyone here has an opportunity to humble themselves. Everyone here can say, you know what, I, I, I may be rich, but I am, I am poor, I am needy, I am a captive apart from Christ. I am blind unless he enables me to see. I'm imprisoned to my sin unless he sets me free. But God looks on all those who are of humble estate. And I love what she says. She proclaims God's goodness, how God has looked on her. And she says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Mary was definitely of a lowly estate, but she was overflowing in gratitude because God looked on her with favor and did truly great things for her. He placed his very own son inside of her to be born as a savior. He took this no one and made her someone that all generations will call blessed forever. 
you know, and after, after Jesus, Mary and Joseph, they, they go on to have more children um, on their own. And Jesus' half-brother James, he come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God after the resurrection. So James wrote, and I wonder if he was thinking about his mom. He wrote in James 4.10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll exalt you. That's what God did for Mary. That's what God does for, for each and every person who humbles themselves before him. God will exalt us. It doesn't mean that God's gonna give us a great name here on earth. It means that he'll give us his name here on earth and for eternity, his name will be on us. We'll be exalted. He's, he's the lifter of our heads. He's the one who's going to exalt us in Christ. One day we will rule and reign with him. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And Mary exalted this because she knew it wasn't anything she did on her own. It was all God's mercy that she'd be forever called blessed because of what God had done for her. And as Christians, those who place faith in Jesus, we will be forever blessed as well if we come to him in humility. Seeking him in the poverty of our souls. Seeking him when we are imprisoned to our own sin. Coming to him in humble estate. And not only does he bless those in humble estate, he blesses those who fear him. He blesses those who fear him. And he gives us his mercy. And I love what verse 50 says. It says, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Do you need mercy? Do you want God's mercy? Do you want to experience God's mercy in your life? And now what is mercy? Mercy is, is completely undeserved. When we deserve punishment, when we deserve disfavor, it's, it's God giving us what we do not deserve. Completely mercifully. And she says his mercy is for those who fear him. I need his mercy. Do you need his mercy? And this good news she sings about, it says, his mercy, this song is to be picked up by us. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, now what does it mean to fear God? Does it mean, oh, I'm afraid of him because he's going to punish me? No. But it does mean a healthy respect for God to realize that apart from God's forgiveness, we deserve his punishment, we deserve his wrath. You know, I, whenever I have a, a police officer pull up behind me in the car, whether I'm speeding or not, I always have this heightened awareness of what I'm doing in the car. I, I get a little nervous. I'm like, oh, no, what's my speed? Am I holding my, my wheel at 10 and 2? Um, are my blinkers? Am I, I'm, I'm always aware, oh, oh, no, do I have everything together? There's, there's a healthy respect, maybe a little unhealthy on my part, but there's a respect for what that police officer behind me means. If we go before a judge, remember the first time I went before a judge, um, I, I had went to dispute a, a parking violation. And I remember that, that nervousness I had that he could decide whether or not I'll be fined, whether or not I have points on my license. There's a healthy respect knowing that, that he is, was the one who was going to decide what would happen with my case. If you're in the presence of a president, regardless of what political party that president is, whether you like them personally or not, whether you agree with their politics, there is a healthy respect for the office. 
A few years ago, we got to go and visit the Grand Canyon. When you go up to the rim of the Grand Canyon, you look at the splendor, the grandeur of it, and how deep that canyon is, how wide it is. There's a healthy respect. There is a, I don't want to go too close because I realize that if I do, I could fall. There's a healthy respect. So when we approach God, we, we approach him with a healthy respect, saying, God, I, I know that you are God overall. You're the creator of all. He's not to be toyed with or trifled with. He's not a God whose presence bears sin. And yet, he shows mercy to those who fear him. And say, God, I need your forgiveness. You are a holy and righteous God. Your presence bears no sin. But yet, your son bore all of my sins on the cross. And so, I fear you and realize that I'm living in light of that. And then verses 51 through 55 really are different examples of both the things we just looked at, how God blesses those who are humble, but he also blesses those who fear him. And so Mary gives lots of examples. says, God's be praised because he's demonstrated he's strong. And time after time in Israel's history from the parting of the Red Sea and all of the plagues leading up to that and the exodus and his destruction of Jericho and, and, and God destroying countless legions of armies when he just told Gideon to blow a horn and 300 men blew horns and, and God routed the enemies, legions of enemies. All throughout history, God's strength was not because his people deserved it, his strength on their behalf was because he's a merciful God. And then it shows how he's powerful. He's not just powerful externally. He's able to discern the thoughts and intents of our heart. It says, he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He looks on our hearts and shows mercy to the humble, but scatters the proud. Think of James writing. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. Are you hungry? I'm not talking about physically. Are you thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch? But are you hungry for God? Are you, do you realize you need him? Do you realize you need him to supply you everything? That God is the one who supplies all of your needs? Are you hungry in that way? Are you hungry for him? It says he's filled the hungry with good things. The rich he's sent away empty. The rich and famous, they seem to get all the breaks and have all the favor with all people, but it's not how God sees things. He says God gives mercy to the humble, to the poor. He isn't impressed with riches. He sends the riches away. But God doesn't stop there. You know, when we lived in, in Vancouver, British Columbia, I, I would, on to and from work every day, I would encounter a lot of people who were homeless on a daily basis. And it was heartbreaking because I wished that I could meet all of their needs. I wish that somehow I could fill all of their stomachs, that I could give them what they really needed. But I was limited. God isn't limited. It says he's filled the hungry with good things. It's the kind of God that he is. 
He is the God who responds and blesses. And that's what Jesus promises to do. And he, he actually referred to himself, Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. He holds out life itself to all who come to him and, and seek to eat of his bread. He, he is he's living water. He wants to quench our deepest thirst and longings. He promises to fill all who trust in him with his very own Holy Spirit. And one day, I'm looking forward to this day, we're going to, I'm hungry now, but you know what? My hunger won't be fully satisfied until I go to be with Jesus at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he'll fill us completely when he returns to take us home. And I love how she's not just thinking about herself, but she's also thinking about how God remembers all of his servants. Because she says in verse 54, he's, he's helped a servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, his, his offspring forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the promises that God spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And he remembers those who come to him in seeking his mercy. And this passage is filled with a lot of joy. It's filled with the joy of two pregnant women, but they're not just pregnant women. They're women who are pregnant with the ones who prepare, Elizabeth who prepare the way for God's salvation, and Mary with the one who is God's salvation. They celebrated life because they were giving birth. I think we're meant to celebrate every birth because every birth is, is a sign that God is the giver of life. He's a bringer of life that he didn't wipe us out when he could have when we sinned against him, that he continues. Every birth is an evidence of God's mercy. God brings new starts. He brings new hope. He brings salvation. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And then in Jesus, we have the utmost of God's mercy, the utmost of God's blessings to all who come to him, who believe in his word, who respond to him, humble themselves. And our, our holy God shows mercy to us when we disobey, when we go against him, when we've earned his punishment. I, I was just thinking this week, of I, I, I can't think of anything, anything I've ever done to merit God's favor. Because the reality is, is that everything I've done is in some way affected or tainted by my own sin. And, and yet, God promises all who come to him believe in his word he extends mercy and grace. One of the things that, as I was thinking about receiving God's mercy, is that I am the recipient of so much of his mercy. He's, he's forgiven my sins. Not because I've done anything to earn it, but because I've, I've asked. I've put my faith in him. I trust in him. Now as he's forgiven my sins, he's, he's given me new life. Not only has he given me new life, but he's given me hope in this life, hope in the life to come. Not only has he given me hope in this life and a life to come, but he's made me new. He's enabled me to be set free from sin so I'm no longer enslaved to sin. And he's sanctifying me day by day. All of these are evidences of his blessings on my life. I'm not perfect by any means. Every day I'm aware of, of his mercy. And yeah, I was also aware that this past week, I'm like, I... I really, I don't know how aware I am of his mercy because I don't know how, aware, how much I'm showing mercy to others. You know, I'm so aware sometimes when people sin against me 
of, of what they deserve. Instead of being aware of, wait a minute, I, I, I am equally in need of mercy because I have sinned against God far more. And, and the mercy that, that we receive is, is meant to be shared. We don't deserve mercy, that's the point. Neither does anybody else. Yet God shows mercy. And that's what we're meant to convey. That's what we're meant to preach and proclaim. And we can receive mercy as we humble ourselves, as we admit our need, believe that God's blessings are true and, and completed in Jesus because God blesses those who believe and come to him humbly. That's the song that we sing. So I can't think of a better way than to respond in song. So let's stand, I'll pray, let's stand, and then we will sing in response. Come to him humbly, seeking his mercy. Let's pray. God, we we need you. We confess that we are poor and broken deaf, dumb, and blind. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, we come to you humbly. We ask you for your blessing. We ask you for your mercy. We ask you for your favor, Lord. And thank you that you delight to pour out your mercy and bless all who come to you trusting in Christ. So, Lord, we, we, we pray this in Jesus' name.